Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a big clap offering the house today? I thank God so much for today and for the wonderful gathering of God's people in the house. God has a sure word for somebody in the house today. And I know without a shadow of doubt that every single person who came here today will be tremendously blessed. I thank God for the life of the pastor of this church, Pastor Brian, who gave me this opportunity once again. I think this is about the third time that I'm preaching in this place here, and I thank God so much for the opportunity. Not everybody is able to avail his pulpit for a minister coming from a different place to share the word on Sundays. So for him to have done that, it shows the extent and the magnitude of the trust that he has for me and for the ministry that I carry. And I thank God so much for him and for everything. And also for the first lady in Ghana, we call pastors' wives first ladies. <laughs> Let's clap for the first lady of the house. <laughs> yeah. So I bring you greetings from Ghana, Africa, where I hail from. Yes, and from the ministries I had, Christ Authority Chapel and the Authority Bible College. The Authority Bible College trains ministers in various courses in systematic theology and pastoral ministry. And by the grace of God, we've trained so many ministers and missionaries who have gone to several parts of the world to do the work of the ministry. I thank God for today. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for yet another opportunity this day to share your word. We thank you because the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but your word will stand forever. God, as I teach your people, I pray, anoint my lips of clay and speak through me. Let the words I speak not be my own words, but Holy Spirit. Let them be the words that, oh God, you want these ones here today to hear. Let this word correct. Let this word rebuke. Let this word train. Let this word teach. And let every one of them be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you, Heavenly Father, even for answer prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, we call it done. Amen. Please, let's turn our Bibles to the book of John. I normally love it when the church reads along with me. Yeah, it makes it more participatory. <laughs> so John chapter number 11. It would also be so beautiful if we had it on the screen. It would also be so nice. If it's ever possible. John chapter number 11 from verse 1 to 44. Because it's a very long passage. I'm going to cut it short somewhere. So that we can go on from there. From verse 1. John 11 verse 1 to 44. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil. And wiped his feet with her hair. Whose brother Lazarus was sick. Three. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. For 
When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Put a pen on that. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Eight. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Nine. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Put a pen on that one too. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, I'm jumping from there, skipping all the way to the verse number 38. Then Jesus, verse 38, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, roll away the stone. Put a pen on that. Roll away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. That you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. That they may believe that you sent me. 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, lose him and let him go. Put a pen on that one too. Lose him and let him go. I want to give a teaching that I've titled, Roll Away the Stone. Roll Away the Stone. You see, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, there are a number of miracles that he performed. In fact, John records a good number of them. And one thing that in John's gospel, you're going to be realizing is that Jesus Christ makes seven I am statements. For example, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am this, I'm that. Seven of them. And then he performs seven outstanding miracles in this book of John. Now, the purpose of John's gospel was revealed the deity of Jesus. Each of the biblical characters had their own thematic idea. 
and the purpose for which they wrote what was written. For example, the purpose of Matthew was to reveal Jesus as king. So when you are reading Matthew, it's important to have this at the back of your mind that I am reading a book where the royalty of Jesus is the purpose for which the author writes it. And for Matthew, you could see it right from the verse number one, the way he actually explains the genealogy of Jesus, okay? Where he says that the book of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David and son of Abraham. People have wondered why he didn't mention Abraham's name first. Because if you look at it genealogically, Abraham existed long before David. Because out of Abraham came Isaac. Out of Isaac came Jacob. Out of Jacob came Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Isaac, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin, the 12. David was nowhere near the sea. <laughs> so why would Matthew mention David's name first before Abraham? And say, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. It is simple. It is because of the purpose of Matthew's work. Abraham was the progenitor of the Hebrew race, incontrovertibly. It started with him. But on this earth, Abraham was not a king. But David was, in fact, the greatest king that perhaps Israel ever had. So to prove that Jesus, just like David was king, he had to connect him first and foremost to a king from whose lineage he came. Just to establish that connection of royalty. Because that was the purpose of Matthew's book. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the king, to connect, to show that link in terms of royalty before son of Abraham. Then you look at Luke also. Luke's purpose also showed that he was son of man. Even though he was God, he came in the flesh and he dwelt among us. So Luke wanted to portray that Jesus is man, even though he's essentially God. That's why if you read much of Luke, you're going to come across the phrase son of man. It comes, in fact, you're going to see it a plethora of times in his work. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Son of man comes a lot when you are reading the book of Luke. When it gets to John, you're going to hear the phrase son of God because the purpose is to reveal him as God. If the son, excuse me, say of a dog is also a dog and the son of a pig is also a pig, then the son of God must be God. But in the chapter number 11 of this book, which John writes to reveal the deity of Jesus, that he is God, we see something happen in Bethany, house of misery, Bethany. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he had two sisters. One was named Mary, the other was named Martha. And John says here that it was this particular Mary who had anointed the feet of Jesus, poured alabaster perfume, fragrant oil, and wiped the feet with her whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now get it. The name Lazarus is a Greek baby name. Take note of that. If you come across the, the name Lazarus, 
It is a Greek baby name, which simply means God is my help. Take note. God is my help. Lazarus means God is my help. It is the equivalent of the Hebrew name Eliza, which means God has helped. Now, this Lazarus, we are told that was sick. And when Jesus heard this particular news, which was not too good, the Bible says he made a statement that was very categorical. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that a son of God may be glorified through it. Mm. That's, that's a bit bamboozling. You know, a bit obfuscating. Maybe quite discombobulating. How can you say that something as negative as sickness? I don't, I'm not sure that if I'm to ask anyone here, who wants to be sick? We are going to have anybody raise their hand. Nobody wants to be sick because sickness, look at what happened when Corona just hit. How many people died? People have fallen sick and have not survived. Others have been sick and they've not fully recovered. Some are still in the hospitals. So sickness is not something palatable. But the very moment Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, listen to what he said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. How can sickness be for the glory of God? (laughs) Then I got to understand that as a child of God, you ought not take the negative negatively all the time. Because listen to me, God's love for you does not exempt you from tribulations. The problem with a lot of churches today and a lot of my colleague pastors is that we preach messages that give people a a kind of utopia impression of life on this earth. But there is no place in scripture where Jesus Christ assured us of a problem-free life. And we preach as though suffering is alien to a child of God. That when you're a child of God, you accept Christ, mm, everything is going to be 100% okay for you. You are not going to suffer. You are not going to go to any trial. God is going to be with you. So he'll protect you. He's going to be milk and honey. He's with you. So nothing bad will happen. And you're not going to any suffering. And everything will be okay, 100%. No sickness, no nothing around you. you that is a lie from the pit of hell. This kind of messages that we preach are rather taking people out of church shortly after they come in. Because when they come in and listen to some of these messages which are not biblical, and then after a while they begin to experience difficulties in certain areas of their lives, then they think that, "Mm, no, this was a lie that I was told. How come I've come to Christ and I'm still going through this issue, through this problem, through this and that? And so they go out. But one thing every child of God needs to understand is that God allows suffering and God allows tribulations and God allows trials for a purpose. And most of the time, the purpose of God in that situation that you are going through is for his glory to be revealed. Listen to me. Scripture makes it very clear. Jesus Christ said something in the book of John 16. He said that, Do not be afraid of any of the things you are about to suffer. 
For I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you shall have tribulation. You know what tribulation means? Check it. Great suffering. (laughs) And these words did not come from Peter. These words did not come from John. These words did not come from Bartholomew. These words did not come from Thomas. These words did not come from any of the Mathetes, the disciples. It came from the mouth of the Jesus for whom we have gathered here today. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have great suffering. But there's something he said that should comfort you. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Suffering is allowed by Christ so that he can mature you. So that he can build character in you. So that he can work out certain things in you. A lot of us will not become what God wants us to become unless he can prove some things out of us through suffering. If God must deal with that pride, if he must deal with that selfishness, if he must deal with that ego, if he must deal with that thing that is in you, that will not allow his glory to be revealed. He has to take you through something sometimes uncomfortable. Through the thing that he takes you, you learn patience. I like how James puts it. Count it all joy. When you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her complete work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. God will work out his patience in you. He's going to work out his endurance and perseverance in you. He's going to work out character in you through some trial. Don't tell people that when you're a Christian, you can't go through something. It's a lie. He said, this sickness is for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Don't take the negative negatively. Whatever you are going through, God has a purpose for it. And the last time I checked scripture, I realized that everybody God ever did something with went through something difficult. Everybody, you check scripture and see. Look at Joseph. With all the vision that he saw of a very bright future. A future of kinship, a future of authority, a future of prominence, a future where he's above and he's ruling and heading things. With all that, you'll assume that God, after showing him that vision, will just take him and then skyrocket him and throw him to that place. But no, God said, if you want to be there, you must first get down there. If you want to be above You must first go down below. The Lord Jesus Christ never had it any easy. None of them. In the case of Joseph, I will call it the peace, the four peace. From pit to Potiphar to prison to the palace. Uh Pit, Potiphar, prison, palace. One thing after another. But ultimately, everything he went through was to help him build compassion, help him build patience, help him build character for the place where God was taking him. Listen to me. A lot of people are praying for the fruit of the Spirit. It is good to pray for the fruit of the Spirit. But the most effective way to have the fruit of the Spirit show in your life is to go through something. Mm -hmm. Listen to me. Suffering has its place. 
in the life of every child of God. And the other day, Job's wife would not understand why God was taking somebody as faithful as Job through what he was going through. Because look at how the Bible describes Job. He said, a man that feared God and was blameless and more upright than any other man on the face of the earth. So you will begin to wonder, if a man is this upright, and a man is this righteous, and a man is this unblemished, then everything should be 100% okay, utopia for the person. Because he's upright, he does no sin, here and there. So what is happening? Mm -hmm. God allowed the enemy to strike him with what was stricken. And at the point, his wife would not understand. So she came to him and said, do you still hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. But I like the answer that Job gave her. He said, you speak like one of the foolish women speak. Shall I receive from God only good and not evil? I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he shall stand at last upon the earth. And though my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God. And though he strikes me, yet will I trust him. Whatever situation you are going through, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Because God's glory ultimately shall be revealed. Bible says that for our present suffering, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, ultimately, when Jesus Christ decided to leave and go to where Lazarus was, there is something he made very clear to them. He said, our friend Lazarus is asleep. So let us go that I may wake him up. Then I got to understand that none of God's children die. (laughs) We only sleep. Sometimes we think about those who have gone ahead of us in Christ. And then we weep. And then we lament. And then we are sad. We are thinking about that auntie. We are thinking about that uncle. We are thinking about that nephew. We are thinking about that niece. And then sorrow takes over and engulfs us. But the truth is that if that auntie, if that uncle, if that nephew ever had faith in Christ, listen, they are only sleeping. Because on that day, Bible declares, I like how Paul puts it to the Thessalonians. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, those of us who are alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with his words. That's why I'm here to encourage you. Don't worry, don't lament, don't weep, because on that day, oh, they are going to rise again. Because all this while, they have just been sleeping. Don't worry. In fact, COVID-19 brought a lot of things, tragic and catastrophic. A lot of people who went home through this sickness. We lost a lot of people, a lot of relatives, not just in America, but all across the world. The good news is that we shall see them again. It is not lost. We are going to see them again. He said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And when Jesus ultimately with the disciples 
decided to go to where he was. Bible declares that when he got there and Martha heard that Jesus had come, she rushed to the place where he was. And then she said to him, oh Lord, if you had come earlier, my brother would not have died. Then Christ said, your brother will live again. The mother said, yeah, I know he's going to live again on the resurrection at the last day. Now, let's analyze the statements that Martha made critically. Martha said, Lord, if you had come earlier. So, we are talking about yesterday, the past. If you had come earlier, then later on, she said, I know he was going to rise again on the resurrection at the last day. So what are we talking about? Future. But there's one thing Martha forgot. That Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. It doesn't matter when he appears on the scene. When Jesus is four days late, he's still on time. When Jesus is four days late, he is still on time. That thing may have delayed, but it has not been denied. Sometimes God allows delay for a purpose. And if God is ever going to make you a skyscraper, and not just one simple building, he will take his time and build a deeper foundation. Mm -hmm. God, why has that sister gone ahead and I'm still here? And why has that brother, I was more intelligent than he was at school. But look at me, it's taking me a long time, 10, 20 years, God, to get there. God, what is happening? Well, because you are not like them. We have our different purposes and we have our different destinies. What God wants you to do may not be exactly what he wants me to do. For some people... There may just be one simple structure, and that is it. But if God is making you a skyscraper, that must be seen by the whole world. That must make impact on nations. That must make impact on generations yet unborn. He will take you through something. You go through it. The delay is important for your destiny. It can take five years. Don't worry. It can take 10 years. Don't worry. It can take 20 years. Don't worry. You know how long it took Abraham to come into the promise? The promise of a seed through whom God was going to bless the other nations. It took Abraham 25 good years. These days we have Christians who want everything quick, fast, quick, fast, quick, fast. Quick, quick, today, quick money. Quick cash. Quick job. Quick this. Quick that. Quick this. Quick that. Quick this. But the God we are serving is not that kind of magical God. He's a God of process. God will always process your success. Take note of that. He will take you through stages. From one stage, he will take you through another. When a child is born, the child doesn't grow the same day. You start as an infant, become a little child, become a teenager get to a young adult and become fully mature. Even Jesus Christ himself had to go through a process. Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
A lot of today's youth are so much in a hurry. In a hurry to get this. In a hurry to get that. In a hurry to grab this. In a hurry to grab that. And we are taking things from everywhere. And when they see that certain things are not coming as quickly as they want it to, they try to use some other means to get it. No, that is not God. God will take his time to work certain things in you. So even though Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick, look at it. The Bible says that they told Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. But he waited and got there after four days. Do you know what it means? On the fourth day, the body begins to stink. So if you love me, I'm expecting that when I'm in crisis, you come hurriedly and attend to me. (laughs) But the Bible says that because Jesus loved Lazarus, he waited. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that thing has delayed doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Maybe it's a sign that he loves you more than anybody in this world, rather. Because out of your mouth must come the greatest testimony that will shock your enemies. God is taking his time. To work something. Allow him. Go through it. Go through it. Go through it. Sometimes we pray for a day. We pray for a week. We pray for a year. We don't see any sign. And we want to give up. No. No. That's why in my part of the world, I don't know whether that same thing is here. When it comes to prayer, the acronym is P-U-S-H. You pray until something happens. If it's 20 years, keep praying. If it's 40 years, keep praying. If it's 50 years, keep praying. If it's 100 years, keep praying. Because anytime we pray, listen, three things happen. What are they? Yes, no, wait. And all three are answered prayer. See, these are kind of messages that Christians need to be taught. And not this kind of honey and milk messages that make them believe in something that is not real. That today, within seconds, magic will happen. No. God can do it, but most of the time, he will take his time to build you first for that thing. If God knows that when he puts you here today, you cannot handle being here, and you will fidget and fall and break your leg. He will take his time and build you before he puts you there. And that is what a lot of people don't understand. God, I've prayed for this. I've prayed for that. For some two years, for some five years, for some ten years. God, why? (laughs) Now listen. Let me give you this analogy. You may have a child six years old. You love the child to the moon and back. Now this child comes to you saying, Daddy, 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 oh, mommy, 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 mommy. You see that car, that car, that Benz, that saloon car. Daddy, buy one for me. I want to drive it at eight six. Daddy, you see that car, car, I want to drive it so nice. I want to drive this car. Daddy, daddy, no, 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 no. Give this one to me. I want to buy. I'll give it to me. I want to drive this. Now, he may be your only child. You may love him more than any other thing on the face of the earth. But no matter how much the child cries and shouts and pesters you at age six, are you going to buy for the child a toy car and not that saloon car? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you didn't love the child. 
But you know very well that even if you are forced to get a saloon car for that child, and the child decides to drive that car, what will happen to the child at age six? He will die. That same car will be involved in an accident, and he will die because he was not mature enough to handle it. That is what happens to most of us when we are praying and trusting God for some things. God, today, give me this today. God, like that child, this one, I must get it now. But God sees the future from the present. And he knows that you cannot handle this thing now. He knows that this same thing you are asking for, the very moment you receive it, you are not going to come to church again. You receive this, you stop going for evangelism. You receive it, that thing right now, you are not going to be so committed to the things of God anymore. So he has to take his time and learn and teach you how to be patient. Teach you how to be mature in handling things. Teach you how to be, to, to be compassionate. So that that blessing doesn't bring pride and arrogance into your heart. Mm-hmm. This is what God is doing for most of us. When he got there, the man had been dead for days. Then Jesus Christ, when he saw Mary, Martha, and the Jews weeping, Bible says that he groaned in the spirit. And then he said, where have you laid him? Then they showed him where Lazarus had been laid. And then he said, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. What is that stone symbolically? We can see it from the verses that follow. Because in order to interpret passages and verses properly, we must look at the pretext the context, and the post-text. Martha said, Lord, my brother has been dead four days. And by now there's a stench. How can we roll away the stone? You want this stench? What are you trying to say, Lord? Then Jesus said unto her, Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you shall believe, You shall see the glory of God. The stone represents doubt. Doubt. Roll away the doubt. The fact that you prayed for that thing and it's not yet due doesn't mean God is unable to do it. Throw away. Take away. Roll away the doubt. God does not operate in an atmosphere of faithlessness. In the Gospels, the scripture says that and when Jesus Christ went to Capernaum, he could not perform any miracles because of their unbelief. The Bible did not say he will not. He could not. Could in a grammar shows ability. The past for Ken. I can do it. Ability. Sometimes it used to show polite request. Can I use your pen? If he could not, because of their unbelief, the doubts of the people incapacitated him. He could not because faithlessness is an atmosphere that paralyzes God's ability to work in your life. You ought to believe, even if it is death that has been pronounced, believe that God is able to keep that which you have entrusted into his care. God, and, and, and we talk about faith. Sometimes we say so many things about faith, but 
it is not really what the Bible means by faith. Let me just say this, and I'm going to hand over right now. What exactly is faith? And what exactly is doubt? Man of God, you are telling us to roll away the stone. In other words, take away the doubt. What exactly is that faith? And what exactly is that doubt? The very moment I explain to you the faith, you will easily also understand the doubt because they are antithesis. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible defines faith in a very beautiful way. What does it say? It said, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Now, let us go into the Greek rendering of the same scripture. For us to get the original intent of the author in his definition of faith. Because there are so many things, as a lecturer, I've come to realize that there are so many things in the English text. Which some only scratches the periphery. And we can get it much more. Or get it much firmer if we go into the original manuscript, the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic, which are the original languages in which this text were written before the translations were made. So, if the scripture says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen, how is it portrayed in the original Greek text? The original Greek text for this same scripture says, Esteen dipistis, elpizomenon, upostasis, pragmaton, elenkos, ublepomenon. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Esteen dipistis, elpizomenon, upostasis, pragmaton, elenkos, ublepomenon. Now, that word translated into the English as substance. Is the Greek word upostasis. Upostasis. Esteen de pistis, el pisomenon upostasis. Upostasis is translated as substance in the English. Now, for us to understand what faith is, because faith is the substance, we must understand what upostasis actually means in the original Greek language. Now, in the Greek, upostasis means a title deed. Take note of that. A title deed. What is a title deed? That legal document that shows or confirms the ownership of a property. Now, when we are done with today's service, and then we all walk out of this place, and I also walk out. When you see me walk out of this building, it doesn't make this building mine. The fact that I am here preaching doesn't make this property mine. When you see me walking across the length and breadth of a park, it doesn't make the park mine. The only thing that proves legally that a particular property belongs to somebody is the deed. Because the deed bears your name and your other details. So it belongs to this person. Why? The deed says so. Now, right now, I am in the U.S. If I get an international magazine and I'm flipping through it, and I see a particular property being advertised for sale in a different country. And I want to acquire it. I don't need to go all the way to that country, like to the UK, to acquire it. If I have a friend there, 
a brother there, a neighbor there, I can just do some bank wire transfer. Once he receives the money, he can buy that property on my behalf. Now, I am still in the U.S. I've not gone to the U.K. But the friend tells me that, oh, the property is now yours. Why? Because I have bought it on your behalf. So it belongs to you, Seth. Now it is yours. How do I know it is mine? When he mails to me the deed, bearing my name, it is a legally incontrovertible evidence that that particular property in the UK, which I've not yet seen with my eyes, belongs to me. Why? Because the deed says so. Now, there are so many things that God has promised us in his word that today physically we may not see. God, for example, tells you that healing is the children's bread. By his stripes who are healed. But the doctor tells you that after examination, yes, you're hypertensive. You're diabetic. He sees that there is something wrong somewhere with the heart. Something cardiovascular or cardiothoracic issue. But God has made it very clear by his stripes who are healed. God assures you that you are set before you an open door. But wherever you go for that interview, you are not accepted for the job. The doors appear shut. God tells you that promotion is yours. But for about two, three, four years, you are still stuck to the same position. How do you know the promotion, which you are not seeing, belongs to you? How do you know the health, which you are not really experiencing, belongs to you? How do you know the open doors, which you are not really experiencing, are yours? Once you have the title deed, do you know what the title deed is? The word of God. This is our title deed. Whatever God has promised you and said about you is here. If you can hold on to this title deed and cling to this title deed and run with this title deed and believe in this title deed, it is called faith. So faith is simply holding on to our title deed, which is the word of God. If you can hold on to this, you have faith. Then Christ ultimately said, Lazarus, come forth. I'm happy he didn't say, dead, come forth. You know what would have happened? If he had said, dead, come forth. All the dead people in the world, right from the days of Adam, will have emerged. <laughs> but he was specific. Sometimes in our prayer, we need to be specific with our request. But I like what he did before he commanded him to come forth. He prayed and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Listen, as a child of God, learn to be thankful. Let thanksgiving be more than your petitions. We are always asking God, give me this and that, this and that, this and that. It is okay. But thanksgiving is the key that gives us access to God's very throne. Instead of asking for a car, for money, for this, for that, God already knows what we need before we ask him. Let thanksgiving be abundant. You see, before Jesus Christ multiplied the five loaves of bread and two fish, look at what the Bible says. Bible says he took the five loaves of bread and two fish and he gave thanks. That is it. That is the key to your miracle. Thanksgiving. You know how many people slept last night who couldn't make it today? And all that you're concerned about is money, 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 money. 
You know how many people suffered that sickness and couldn't survive? Not because you are better than them. You had just twice what they had and you are still alive. And all that you are asking for is money, 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 money. You know how many people went for that same interview? Better qualified and rejected. You went, less qualified were accepted. All they are asking for is money, 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 money. Let thanksgiving be abundant. When we wake up in the morning, Father, I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for my health. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your loving kindness. I thank you for everything you have done for me, for all that you are doing, for all that you are about to do. Listen, this is the key to God's very presence. Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. From today in our prayer, let thanksgiving be abundant. Thank God, even for what you lost. Thank God for that rejection. Why are you worried because that guy rejected you? Listen, if you are a true child of God, whose faith is in Christ, take note of this, rejection is direction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you must be rejected by Mr. Wrong, so they can be directed to Mr. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. We may not understand why we are going through all the rejections, but we are being divinely directed by God for a purpose so that his glory will be revealed. So we may find ourselves where God wants us to be. Thank God for the job you lost. Thank God for the guy that rejected you. Thank God for the man that was gone. Thank God for the friends who went away. Thank God for the door that was shut. Thank God. That's what Bible says in everything. He didn't say in good things. He didn't say when things are favorable. He didn't say when things make you happy. He didn't say when there are dollars in your account. In everything. That's the English word. Good or bad. Pleasant or unpleasant. Palatable or unpalatable. Give thanks. Then went on to say, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. And when Lazarus emerged from the tomb, Christ said, lose him and let him go. When a person is bound with grave clothes on both the hand and the feet, there are some things he cannot really do. That grave clothes represents limitation. Limitation. If my hands are bound and my feet are bound, I cannot properly exert myself. I cannot really go some distances. I may try to walk, but there will be some limitation as to the speed with which I can go, as to how far I can go. Why? Because the grave clothes that are binding my hands and my feet limit me. Listen to me. If you really want God to take you where he wants to take you, deal with that limitation. We have various forms of limitations. For some people, there are certain addictions that hold them to one place. Certain habits that keep them from seeing God's glory. A lot of people are struggling with many things. In church, it is one thing to come to church nicely dressed. But it's another thing when you're in a room alone and nobody's there watching us. If God wants to take you that far and use you for that purpose, you've got to deal with those grave clothes. For some people, their grave clothes is pornography. 
For others, it is some form of drugs. And I was telling us, my, my people in Illinois the other day that most of the time, when we talk about wicked and sinful ways, we are quick to point to people outside the church. Well, it is those people who are not in church, those people who are not Christians, those people who are not in the household of faith. No. What did God tell Solomon after the building of the temple? What did he say? He said, if my people, this is what God is saying, who are called by my name, whom is God referring to? Believers. The church. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and turn from their wicked ways, God's people. It is time to deal with anything that limits you from accessing God's throne. We are all not perfect. The preacher standing before you is not perfect. Yes, I have my own weaknesses, which I still trust God, and I'm still before God, I'm still praying, and I'm asking God, God, strengthen me in this area. But God wants you to be sincere about the grave clothes. Be sincere. God, this is my limitation. Help me. But for some of us, it is either we enjoy that particular limitation, or we don't make any effort at all to deal with them. It limits us. God says it is time for his people to address the grave clothes. It is limiting us. For some, it is pride. Others, it is women. For some men, every two lessons carry something. For some women, the same. For other people, drugs must always be in there. And yet they are in church. They are Christians. Others, they will not go a single day without watching something pornographic. God says, take away the grave clothes. I want to use you. I want to do something with you. I want you to be a tool I can use to change others. But I must first deal with you first. So please, come to me just as you are. This morning, man of God, the Lord is asking me to invite certain people to the altar. Through this message, I'm just preaching. Just so that we can pray a general prayer for them. That God, your word has come to me. These are my grave clothes. This is the area of limitation in my life. This is my weakness. You are not going to be telling us what those weaknesses are. You will not tell Pastor Brian, you will not tell me. But as you come before the altar, silently, you tell God. God, help me in this area. Arrogance. My perception of other people is my area of weakness. God, selfishness. God, it is lust. You see, the thing God loves are people who are honest about their grave clothes. Not people who say, oh, no, not for me. Hey, Mr. Perfect. No, like that man who was praying over there in the temple, the corner of the, the temple. And I was saying, well, Lord, as for me, I pay my tithe, I do good, I do this and that. But another man was in the corner somewhere who could hardly lift his head and said, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Christ said that man went so much more justified. 
God is calling us. The grave clothes must be taken off today. He said, I want to do something with you. Out of you, your family must be transformed. Out of you, lives must be saved. Out of you, people must be blessed. But do away with the grave clothes first. You don't need to tell me what the grave clothes are. I I don't need to hear them. No, I don't need it. But there is a God who hears prayer. And you're going to be coming to him at the altar. Say, God, I come before you just as I am. I like that hymn. I don't really know the words. Just as I am without one plea. You know that, that, those words? Come before God just as you are. God wants you the way you are. Come like that. You don't try to perfect yourself before you come to God. No. Come before him. The scripture says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of our need. Because certain grave clothes will never allow us to fulfill our destiny. Most of us were created extraordinary by God. Generational impacts, life changes. But some grave clothes are holding us. Some grave clothes. We know them. That addiction is holding you. Everybody sees you so nice. But you know what you are struggling with. Doesn't make you feel like you've been praying sometimes. God said it is time today to do away with the grave clothes. And when those grave clothes are done with, the original Lazarus God created, you will see it. Let's close our eyes. If there is anybody here, as Pastor Brian joins me, and the associate pastor is here, with our eyes closed, if there is anybody here who wants to give his life to Christ, we are not playing church. We are not talking about church. Church, you can be in church. That's one thing altogether. And it's another thing, having a personal relationship with Christ. It's a different thing altogether. Or you are in church, you are, you are a child of God, or you are a Christian, all right, but you are struggling with some grave clothes. There's an area of limitation that's preventing you from seeing God's glory. That's preventing you from becoming what God has called you to become. You know it. I want you to lift your right hand And speak to God. Speak to him. Say, God, this is my area of weakness. I'm not going back home with this same grave clothes on. No. God, I cast it away. I take it away. Talk to him. Talk to God right now. Talk to him. If you want to come to the altar so that Pastor Brian and myself praise with you. Please come. In the struggles, man of God, kindly come join me. Let's pray for any struggles, any limitations, any grave clothes. 
Well, Father, we thank you for just this uh, challenge. God, knowing that oftentimes we walk around uh, acting like we're dead. And God, we know that Jesus paid the ultimate price, that we can walk in an abundant life, a life that is full of meaning and purpose, a life that has opportunity ahead. And oftentimes we look to our own weakness and our own struggles. So God, I thank you for Seth. I thank you for his word. I pray today, God, that you would be honored and glorified in everything. That if somebody here has never put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would walk in obedience. And so Lord, I pray that as Seth heads back to Ghana, I pray that you bless him, that you encourage him, that you strengthen him, that God, he can speak the truth of the gospel, that he can continue to walk forward obediently and boldly as you work in him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Seth. And here's how we're going to wrap up. We just want to, yeah, give him a prayer. One of the things I want to encourage you with, uh, Seth is heading back to Ghana, and I wanna, I'm going to ask you to pray specifically for this reason, all right? Seth feels called by the Lord to come here. Um, Seth, I'll be honest with you, is one of the most gifted guys I have ever been around. Not only does he know the Bible in English, he knows it in Swahili, he's got it in Greek, he's got it in Hebrew, and it makes me feel really pathetic, honestly. <laughs> when he starts quoting scripture in the, in the various different languages, I'm like, this guy's on fire. Um, he's a blessing, he's an encouragement. Um, we're gonna do our best to try and get him back here, um, but we gotta walk through the legal process with the United States government, with, with immigration and things like that. Uh, and it's a great thing.